Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Tuesday night edition of the pod. Fun to get to a Twitter mailbag. We got over a hundred submissions here, so we apologize if we're not going to get to your question. We're going to do our best. Maybe we'll even take this into a part two. We'll see see how this is going because we certainly have more than enough questions uh, to do that. And before we get started, though, I want to remind you about COVID Daily News. If you haven't listened yet, please, I implore you, give it a shot. You probably think that you don't want to listen to more about the coronavirus, but the idea of the show is it actually enables you to consume less about the coronavirus because we are aggregating it together based on hours of research per day, all the news, the latest research about the virus, USA World News. And so you listen to this and then you can go about your day and not have to obsess about things anymore. That's the the idea. We got a nice endorsement recently from Nate Silver. Prashant Rao from the Atlantic gave it a nice endorsement. I had a a doctor named Carl Bergstrom on the show yesterday who was fantastic from the University of Washington. He's been studying the emergence of infectious diseases for over 20 years. He talked about some of the health misinformation that's out there. He's involved in some efforts to ramp up testing. We talked about that. So just search either COVID Daily News or search Nate Duncan in your podcast player. For that, uh, Danny, you've been working on anything you want to tell people about before we start? I have a, a it's going to probably be a two-part piece on the Rockets that should be coming out. I would say Wednesday or Thursday, part one will come out with Kelly Eco, which is which was a lot of fun to do, the, just getting into the nuts and bolts of a team like the Rockets. And we'll, I might use some of what I learned on that in questions in the mailbag. And then I would expect Real GM Radio to be out on Wednesday, so you can Wednesday afternoon, evening, so you can keep an listen to that, and I'll talk about it when after the guest is recorded, because that's that's how I do it. Did you have to take like a salary reduction before you were allowed to write about the Rockets? I, I didn't have to yet, but we'll see if maybe before part two that there gets there's a, there's a cash flow question, but we'll have to see. Um, yeah, yeah, that, you, that's true. We have it. it, it it's uh, you have to wait until the trade deadline before that. Happens. Exactly, exactly. So the the the, uh, the the lines aren't set yet. So I think I think we're okay. Uh, do you want to just go straight into the mailbag, or do you want to talk a little bit about some other stuff? Nah, I'm sick of the news. I already have a news podcast. We'll get to some of that at, at some point. There's stuff worth talking about. But now let's uh, let's not waste any time. Let's get to these listener questions. I, I wanted to start with this one from Books to Scale, uh, just as a clarification. I think it's a good it's a good thing. I've, I've been asked about this. I actually, wrote a little bit about it at the Athletic, uh, theathletic.com/capspace. Um, basically, asked to compare and contrast uh, contracts that are tied to the cap and not tied to the cap. And the rule of thumb here basically is, and they're asking in the context of, you know, like we don't know what's going on for the 20 slash 21 season due to COVID-19. The shorthand to use is that carryover contracts, contracts that have already been negotiated that will run into the 20 slash 21 season and theoretically beyond, those will function as they, as they, you know, in terms of the salary cap and all that, they will function as they, as they were negotiated. And so that means for a team like, let's say the Warriors, they have about 130 million tied up in their four most expensive players, though that 130 million isn't changing. So what will change is a, obviously the cap space available should the cap do, I wrote this piece for the athletic, but also because the current CBA ties exception values to the cap that is includes the minimums that includes all the mid-level exceptions the room exception biannual uh and obviously the cap the tax and the uh the hard cap as well so really the easy way to think about it is that holdover contracts aren't affected at all and then the other ones will be to the extent that those changes affect whatever they were going to sign for a couple things to add to that maximum extensions that are already agreed to will be affected like yes. ben simmons and jamal murray so their contracts are usually the language will be that it's just the the maximum allowable salary something along those lines 
signs and so 25 percent of the salary cap is likely what it'll be for both of those guys and so you don't know exactly what that's going to be yet also the rookie scale amounts are tied to the growth in the cap now as well so that's another thing but and then a third point to make is the way that fans care about the operation of the league we've hit all of those but the actual amount of money that players are getting that could be lowered based on either an agreement right there's this agreement now that players uh, beginning in may are going to have 25 percent of their salaries taken out in the absence of using the force majeure clause we'll talk about that at greater length at some point soon and then you also have the escrow which in normal seasons is uh 10 of players salaries are withheld and then if revenues are lower than expected relative to the amount of salaries that the owners are, are allowed to keep that we might even see just for consistency if there's an expectation which i think is nearly unavoidable now that revenues will be lower in the 2021 season that maybe there'll be some agreement as well for that season that a larger percentage of the player's salary gets taken out and then if revenues aren't as much i think that makes the most sense to me rather than imposing it externally with a huge drop in the cap because then presumably if, if revenues go back to normal in 21 22 then you've got this massive fluctuation so it's probably easier to do it just by taking money out for from every player um well yeah go ahead and and also from a from a morality perspective this is very different than the 2016 cap spike where everyone knew it was coming years ahead and so there were specific contracts and this was part of the argument there were more complicated ones around the spike that that players teams and all that knew ahead of time so massaging it is different COVID-19 not something that was anticipated when players signed contracts everything like that so expanding the the people affected so that it's not just the people who happen to be free agents in 2020 getting the brunt of it to me that feels significantly more fair if, if you know because it's basically like this decrease in revenue is going to affect disproportionately but you want to even it out a little bit let's get to this next one from uh Brad Entwistle Assuming current standings entering the playoffs this summer, what are your conference finals picks, upset potential, and best series? So, Danny, why don't we go through, first of all, what the matchups would be if the season were to end today? Yeah, I will note that there are only two ties in the current seeds, and I I resolved both of those ties, and suddenly both were head-to-head. So I'll just lay out the bracket. We'll start with the East as as it would be so the one eight bucks versus magic winner of that faces the winner of the oh, four best five. series best series there for sure oh absolutely uh the winner of that series faces the winner of the four five which would be heat pacers then the other side of the bracket in the east would be number three seed boston celtics versus number six seed philadelphia 76ers oh baby yes and then that, the, would, that would be awesome Winner, assuming Ben is, are we going to assume Ben Simmons will be back healthy by this point? We will discuss that. And then oh, okay. the two seven Raptors Nets. Um, and it doesn't sound like the Nets will be as interesting because Kevin Durant doesn't sound like if, if there were playoffs this year, it doesn't sound like he would play anyway. Which I support if he's, of course, if he's not healthy. Um, but that makes that series significantly less interesting. So let's talk about the East first. Let's just let's just go through it. Let's just lay out the bracket. Most interesting first round series by far is Sixers. Celtics. I mean, that's absolutely fascinating. From you know Jason Tatum's emergence at the at right before the hiatus to how these two teams defend one another, the history that they have in the playoffs with some largely similar personnel, not all the same, obviously. And I mean the, the I mean the the concept of you know like we had talked about the Sixers being this potentially elite defense, and we didn't see it as consistently as we hoped. And Boston would be a real test for them. Yeah, I think to have now everybody's going to have to ramp back up. Are we going to see injuries, you know, pulled hammies and calves as guys try to ramp back up? Are you going to see Joel Embiid maybe put on a few pounds? Questions like that. Who knows the answer to that? But you would think that for Philly, for Embiid, Ben Simmons taking time off uh, would help them al horford too uh, was reportedly struggling with some nagging injuries including achilles so you would like to think i mean who knows i guess we don't really know of whether our younger teams would be better off because their guys were better able to stay in shape as opposed to teams with older guys now teams with older guys at least their stars they probably have like you know basketball courts at home that kind of stuff they're able to stay
stay in shape better maybe than uh you know Giannis said that he hadn't even like picked up a ball Tatum said he hadn't picked up a ball uh so it's really tough to tell so we'll base it mostly on whatever I think Boston would take Philly but I I would be I could easily be swung by that if we got like any kind of a look at these guys and Philly like looked a little bit better I mean that my prior before the season was that Philly would be better than Boston this bracket also breaks incredibly well for the Milwaukee Bucks they have an easy first round matchup against Orlando they have a comparatively soft second round matchup I would say that the three four and five best teams in the Eastern Conference are all on the other side of the bracket so that that works out or sorry two three four um works out well for them heat heat and pacers i mean the pacers and and if victor oladipo looks healthier than he did you know getting that the passage of time if that helps him it's another another dynamic here so yeah i'm gonna agree with you celtics over sixers so then that would mean a raptors celtics second round series which would be hugely anticipated for me i might actually even be more excited for that than a theoretical eastern conference finals because i'm a big believer that the bucks are the best team in the East by a decent margin. So, huh that's that series you want you want to walk through that a little bit i have i've i mean hopefully that series is going to happen it kind of looks like the bracket is going to break that way if it if the playoffs do occur i'm really torn man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found he looked sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that hundred night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing, like their premium Slub Crew tee, the No BS High Rise Pant, the Slim Roughneck Pant, featured in Giant Magazine, issue two. Every American Giant piece is made in America and designed to last no exceptions, and it provides year-round comfort. So find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use that finisher code CAPSPACE at checkout. You remember, we talk about CAPSPACE all the time 
here in the program. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us. Yeah, Celtics Raptors, I have absolutely no idea where that's going. I like the overall versatility of the Celtics a little bit more. I think that the Raptors might have a little bit better at defense, but I like the Celtics weapons a little bit more. That is just, it's really tough. And the Celtics generally maybe having a little bit younger of a team, more places to attack from offensively. I think ultimately I would, I if it were on a neutral court, I would probably pick the Celtics, but home court could be huge for the Raptors in this. So I, that one is just an absolute toss up to me. It could go either way based uh, on the vagaries uh, of health and getting back into shape. Yeah, I, I worry about the Raptors defense, or sorry, offense against the Celtics defense. But as you said, like I, for me, it's close to a coin flip. Celtics is a slight favorite on a neutral site, but having a home game seven, having four out of the seven games at home is a is a huge advantage for for the for the Raptors. So I'd go that way. Yeah. But either it, way, I think- It's been so long without basketball now that things like home court means you have four of the seven games at home like I actually like we need to be reminded of that now <laughs> yeah I mean really we do um and then I would have either of those teams as significant underdogs to the Bucks I mean the Bucks are a really good team they did lose in the playoffs last year to the Raptors but there isn't a there isn't a 2018-19 Raptors in the rest of the East field yeah my prediction would be that the Bucks do not lose more than two games in a series and that they go I think they would go lose no fewer than one game until the conference finals if this bracket and should you which you would I, I'm assuming you would we would both pick heat over pacers yeah I think so especially with uh you know Oladipo not really having had a time to get back in rhythm and I don't think the pacers really have anyone to stress out some of the weak links in the Miami defense and so and Miami would have home court so I, I think I'd probably go like a six gamer for Miami there. And Miami, I mean, maybe Miami could give the Bucks some trouble. Like that's not beyond the realm of possibility. Like, for me. I, I could I could see there being competitive games, but maybe not a competitive overall series result. Like, you know, like maybe there are some some really nasty like four point wins for Milwaukee, but they win the series four games to one or four games to two. Like that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean Miami did beat the Bucks twice this year, so that's, that's true. Uh, um They've got Adebayo, who I think can cause some problems for Giannis if they want to go that route, uh, or they also went with uh, guarding him with smaller guys and having Adebayo be the help guy. And then Miami, guys like Duncan Robinson in particular, he would cause some problems for the Bucs scheme. Uh, maybe Tyler Hero could get hot also. So there are, uh, I don't know that Jimmy Butler would have much of a series uh, against Milwaukee, but uh, I mean, Milwaukee is clearly the, the better team. And, um, you know, as, as long as Giannis uh, has it working, I think they'll be okay in that series. And then, you know, so I picked the Bucks to come out of the East. West, uh, man. This is this is a, a, a weird bracket that I, I actually, I wouldn't love most of it just because of how it broke, but there's still obviously lots of potential. The 1-8 would be Lakers-Grizzlies. Remember, the Grizzlies played that rollicking game against the Lakers, and I think that was late February, might have been early March. The the 1-8 winner would play the winner of the 4-5, Jazz 4, Thunder 5. Then the other side of the bracket, number 3 Nuggets versus number 6 Rockets, and number 2 Clippers versus number 7 Mavericks. Yeah, Mavs I thought could be dangerous, but that's just a really bad matchup for them against the Clippers. I, I think you could argue it's the worst possible matchup yeah yeah I, I think you're right about that uh what about in the three six what do you think would happen there that's a tough one i mean i i really like the, so i talked about this months ago now it feels it actually probably was with with matt moore who is you know based in the in the denver area he thought that the the nuggets would match up well with the new look rockets and you know basically they don't have anybody to counter nicole Jokic. i do think that there's some merit to that approach but I think their defensive, the Nuggets' defensive schemes would have some real problems with the Rockets, and that would be harder for me to, that would be harder to reconcile. Like, I think you could figure some things out with Jokic as great as he is. And if you can't stop Houston, especially because of the volume that they take, then, and Denver, I don't think they have the discipline to get there. And obviously, also Houston getting into the playoff format, some of their depth issues don't matter as much because you assume that their best players are going to play more. So I would go, even though the Rockets would not have home court, I would have them as the favorites, but not you know ridiculous favorites yeah i think so i i the rockets to me have a lot of volatility 
but I think that they are to me still the third best team in the West and so as long as they're not going up against the Lakers and the Clippers I think I would pick them to win a series even without home court yeah it's not a coin flip to me like I'll I'll break those sorts of ties right now in favor of home court like we talked about how close Celtics Raptors was but this isn't this isn't that same margin yeah I mean my general thoughts were if I were just going to rank these teams in terms of quality I would go Clippers Lakers Rockets Jazz oh no I'm sorry uh Mavs number four Jazz Nuggets Thunder Grizzlies that would be my ranking in terms of quality but then when you apply that to this weird bracket then you 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 get some odd results Right. Uh, so yeah, Jazz Rock, Jazz Thunder to me, least interesting series. Uh, I, and I think, you know, it'd be fun for the Jazz to theoretically get on the board. I, I do think that, you know, have it, the three guard lineup would be compelling for OKC against Utah because it's not like they have those beastly wings that w- could give that group problems, but they still have a lot of talent. And um, I, I, w- I would have the Jazz at the favorites in that series. Then the, for me, yeah. the second Jazz round, have a lot of experience playing against Chris Paul, too. I think, I think that's, that's true helpful. yeah and I mean and Chris Paul though you do have the benefit of him that he's not trying to get all the way to the rim so some of the deterrence that Gobert provides is not as impactful but they have a lot of other players that would be have some real struggles in that series I think OKC's offense would have some would have some real challenges but this like the the real part of this for me the weight is of, of it is the second round I would be more interested in for me personally in Lakers Rockets than Clippers Rockets I don't know if that's just because I respect I think the Clippers just fit, just they just match up better. They have some they have the wing depth becomes a greater problem. Though the Rockets obviously played the Clippers well this year, um, before and after I believe the adjustment. But so Lakers Jazz to me, I think the Lakers win that series. They have a pretty clear talent advantage. What the Jazz do well, I think the Lakers can take some of that away. And what the Lakers do well, Jazz would have some real struggles with. And then Clippers Rockets. I could see it being well contested and all that, but I would have the Clippers as favorites. So then we get to the the Western Conference Finals we expected the whole time, basically. Yeah, and I think the Clippers, I like them to win that. Uh, I just think they have more depth. They do more things that the Lakers can't deal with than vice versa. And we, we talked a lot about the matchup between those teams, so we don't need to get into that too much. And then I think clippers bucks could be an unbelievable conference fi- or uh nba finals that would be my and, number one series of the whole playoffs that that is the one that i would oh yeah if that happens um oof. yeah i mean that that would be really tough i think i would probably I, I you know the clippers i think have a higher potential ceiling than the bucks do but they are gonna like the bucks we know what they are we know that they're gonna maximize i think generally what they have there aren't too many you know especially with Ursine Ilyasova now not really being in the rotation there's not that many ways that Budenholzer can kind of screw that up whereas you know the Lou Williams the Montrezl Harrell question it who the Clippers are going to close with who they're going to go through a lot of the time you know they still need to figure that out a little bit more and I think if they find the right answers to those questions they have a higher ceiling than the Buck but there certainly are ways that things could go wrong and I also expect that the Bucks will have had a much easier road to the finals and when you're talking about what could be a truncated timeline here when you're talking about not having had that much chance to get back in shape potentially going right into a playoffs I think that that not playing as many games in the run-up could be really impactful as well so and the Bucks will have home court so man I mean that is just well, here, here's how I would yeah. phrase it I think the Bucks, knowing what we know right now if the playoffs happen the Bucks are the most likely champion because they have the easier path through and they would have a very good chance in the finals but if you were to tell me right now that it's Clippers Bucks in the NBA finals in whatever month that happens in I would pick the Clippers in that series I think that they're no you know, assuming health and all that is equalized um I think that what the Clippers are trying to do offensively the Bucks don't take it away quite as much we, we've seen Kawhi you know Kawhi so ball work well against them and also I agree with you that the Celt- that the Clippers have a lot more that they have to figure out but they would have the necessity to do that beforehand so if they if they've gotten to the finals if they've gone through the Lakers the Ro- presumably the Lakers and the Rockets at least one of the two likely both in this in this bracket both and then another capable team in this case the Mavericks like I think that they the iron will have sharpened the iron enough for Doc Rivers to know what his rotation is and so and also like they have some capable shooters you know like Landry Shamit I think could be dangerous in a series against the Bucks might not be as valuable in other ones but just having those options could be very useful 
awful. So I, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable about it. I would be so damn excited for that series. But I would uncomfortably pick the Clippers to win it. Yeah, subject to change, certainly. Oh, yeah. Uh, based on, uh, uh, but I, I think and, if you put a gun to my head, I would probably uh, agree with you. And, I, you know, I had Kawhi Leonard as the number one player in the NBA. And so I think that's that. And, and the Clippers have just a little bit more variation in how they can attack and they have more overall talent to be yeah and and i think it's it's harder to stall out their offense i think that's the as great as the bucks defense is and it deserves all the plaudits it gets but the the clippers offense because of the personnel they have and everything else like that, i we've i could i feel more confident that milwaukee has that potential to stall though it's not a guarantee obviously the clippers another team that hasn't quite lived up to their defensive billing so far Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Uh, we've already touched on parts of this, but question from the Daniel 1999. Assuming the season resumes, which teams would benefit the most and least from the time off? The obvious big one would be if there were players that were unable to play, like stars that are now available. We don't really know what that is yet. I mean, we still don't really know the timeline. Absent that, then I think the next place you go are injuries that were affecting players, even though they might not necessarily have been unavailable. Maybe they were. So like, I mean, even though they're not a playoff team and it wouldn't affect the arc of things, like maybe the Clint Capellas of the world, all the guys with nagging injuries, that they're back. So you could see a big difference there. Um, and also the teams that don't have much to figure out. So like the Bucks know how they're going to play. They're going to play that way, largely irrespective of the opponent they face. I think they would, they would, they would be hurt the least by the layoff. I think is a good way to put it. Assuming the recovery time, recovery time frame is the same for both uh, teams that would be hurt. You know, like the teams that were basically just kind of put together before the before the hiatus I think that would be a really big challenge because they would basically just get that camp to sort things out Houston could have a challenge there um but that that's my basic framework without the knowledge of the availability question which would be a huge determinant but you brought up Ben Simmons before he's a great example of that I would also say that I think teams that are younger maybe even you could say teams with more depth would do better uh yeah I mean because depth also provides you fallbacks in case specific individual players have some problems you know so like if you have right. eight capable like the celtics are a good example of this if you have eight capable rotation players if one of them just came in out of shape you could just slide somebody else in for a little while as they work back in yeah and i also think that as i said in the previous answer that teams with an easier road early on it might really benefit as well um so yeah i, I think that's uh, ultimately what it would come down to for me cartman is the best says wanted to ask what you look for in teams to identify if they're good or great and i think where i would start there is and i think maybe you can use sometimes a, a decent proxy for this is what works in the regular season versus what works in the playoffs so to me is 
what this team is doing you know is it based totally just on system where if you really lock in on that you could stop it does the team look at the team's weaknesses right i think if there are defined weaknesses for this team and yet they're kind of winning in the regular season anyway i think that's a great way to look at it to see whether there are weaknesses that could be exploited in the playoffs we've talked about this that over the last few years especially when the warriors were at their height that just and lebron with a bunch of shooting around him too on the Cavs, where it's just like all right if you have weak links or just areas of the game that your team just isn't good at that could be a problem as well and then i think just generally as sad as it is to say for those of us who like love team basketball and the idea of things teams coming together i think that everything else being equal the teams with more talent do better in the playoff crucible and the teams that are kind of more than the sum of their parts in the regular season are more likely to underperform i will echo all that but add in a couple of different ideas i i embrace the idea of undeniability and it can be really easy to lose that in the shuffle of a regular season because teams spend so much time playing non-elite opposition. But can an individual player or a team do what they're doing against everybody? And along those lines, if you take away parts or all of what they do best, what other counters do they have? This has been a, an issue for me with the Sixers offense for the last couple of years is that if they're if they're not on it, then it, they're, they don't they just don't have as many wrinkles, as many counters because of the limitations of the personnel. So that ties in with the weaknesses that you were discussing previously yeah i mean if can i do an example sure um say the 2018 raptors where they win cameras 59 or 60 games massively outperform cleveland in the regular season but then you look at the raptors offense and you're like okay what they had you know really good numbers obviously um but you're like all right what are they really doing that the other you know a good playoff defense can't stop and it's like well okay demar Derozan trying to isolate no like he could be shut down by good good defenses right whereas that cleveland team they got lebron james and they got shooting around him and nobody really except maybe you could say the warriors at their absolute height when they're playing draymond at center had much success in stopping lebron james with shooting around him like that is just it that's a great way of looking at it it's just yeah you know what i'm sure the raptors had a, a pretty good offense during the regular season but there's nothing about it that stands out to you like oh man like this is just going to totally warp the defense there's no way anyone could ever possibly deal with this whereas lebron is that well and and then the the other part kind of the other side of that same coin i was thinking about the 2019 nuggets defense where they were good enough to win a bunch of games but it didn't look like they could shut down the best of the best and that they had specific gaps that would be exploited by teams and remember in the 2019 playoffs they barely beat a spurs team that spurs which team which was weaker than most of the other playoff teams in the mix and then they lost to the blazers granted that was an unusual series for a bunch of different reasons but you and i were very skeptical of them while they were a wonderful regular season team of being that truly dangerous playoff team and that ended up being completely correct stonecutter seven andrew del toro what type of players do you think are still undervalued i I, a couple came to mind for me right off the back my uh, head here top my head here i should say one is and we hit on this already in a previous answer players who don't really have any major weaknesses that can be exploited i I think that's that's one word you know the and three and d yes are you thinking like dj tucker kind of that type of guy yeah i I mean maybe that i mean that kind of plays into three and d which you know those guys are probably starting to get properly valued now but even if it's you know three and d is you know the guy shoots 35 percent from three instead of 40 percent from three but just to where you're looking at this guy in the scouting report and you're like okay we're, this isn't someone that we're going to just go at on defense maybe he's not you know th- an absolute lockdown iso defender but you're not thinking like oh we got to get our best player isolated against this guy that's a huge advantage and then on the other side where you're like okay we can just leave this guy or if we let this guy have force this guy to make a decision then he's gonna screw it up so i think that's one that stood out to me i've got another one but I, I, what, what did you have so i have can can i say one that i think is overvalued just because i think you could also talk about it in the other way and that's the player i was thinking of this more offensively a player who is a floor raiser but not really a ceiling raiser 
Zach yeah. Levine is the archetype here. I just don't think those players are super valuable. If a player, you know, he he can sop up a bunch of possessions and he can be better than the alternative for some of these teams. But paying those players, especially if they don't scale, and, and maybe Levine will. Maybe if you put the right guys around him, he'll take better shots and he won't fire fire with as much abandon. Maybe he tries a little harder on defense. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But I just, to be committing significant resources to those players and expecting them to be in the starting lineup is just, that is basically just strapping your feet to the treadmill of mediocrity. And especially because those players do really raise your floor, you know, like the, they can help make you a little bit more viable on offense and take it so that you're not just the absolute crap that you need to be in order to maximize your draft odds. And yeah, the lottery stuff is different, but I wanted to talk about that group too, because those are that, those are the real danger guys for me where they don't really scale well they have some other and this this ties in with something we talked about with anthony edwards like i worry that he could be one of those guys too two other things here for me one is guys who protect the rim but don't block a lot of shots i think that that's still up there and even who deter shots at the rim uh, perhaps even more than necessarily blocking them And, and another one i would say is guys who really boost your transition offense Yes, that's a great one. You know, that could be a big who just sprints the floor incredibly hard every time. It could be Kyle Lowry and Lonzo Ball who have awesome hit-ahead passing abilities where even after just having that mentality, you know, Draymond Green would have this too sometimes. Just We're going to push the ball up as hard as we can, even if we don't necessarily have something immediately available where you're just like no like just bringing that mentality to your team of we are attacking hard every time in a full court situation no matter whether it seems like we have the initial advantage or not just players who can bring that mentality and just drag everyone else with them down the floor into a fast break or a secondary break situation Ricky Rubio, you could put him in that category as well. Yeah, that, that's a good call. Um, one other one I want to mention, I don't really have a great example of this, are low usage players who don't make a ton of mistakes. You know, like, so so you they do certain things well, because obviously if they're a low, low usage player who sucks at other things, then they're not going to play. But like those kind of capable defensive center, like, there, there's this whole idea of like, oh, if you can't do much on offense, then that really lowers your ceiling. But I think that I've grown on the idea that you want to rely on your best offensive players to, to create offense. And yeah, it, it, there are certain situations where, you know, like some of the doubling the teams did against Harden, you want to make sure that there's a minimum level of capability. But as long as they can, you know, space the floor a little bit or make good decisions, like that was something I liked about Isaac Okoro's film. I think then they're providing they're providing enough value to keep other teams honest and that then you can give those possessions to the players who are actually best at using them. Spaghetti, 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 that's it, right? I probably, <laughs> uh, how do you see the Christian Wood bidding play out during this year's free agency? Well, I think what you would say is what are some of the comps for him? I think though he's not a restricted free agent, Avicha Zubach, Thomas Bryant, both uh, got 7 million a year last off season in, in a more expansive marketplace. I think it's somewhere right between there and the mid-level. Maybe it ends up being a little bit less than that, but you know, three. I'm thinking three or four-year deal for maybe a bit under ten million a year. That would be my prediction. It, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe it was a deal that had a higher top-line number, sort of like we've seen with the except with the uh, extensions that have come recently. Like not not obviously the numbers of Jalen Browns, but that sort of an idea where there there are incentives involved when you consider Woods circuitous path to this point in the NBA I could see front offices wanting to protect themselves I one of my favorite responses I've gotten on a recent piece when I wrote about the the Hornets with Rod Boone I brought up Christian Wood as being a potential option there I really like the fit of Christian Wood with the Hornets and I had some Pistons fans saying get Christian Wood's name out of your mouth basically the idea of like trying to lower the market on him not that I'm I don't think I'm affecting the way front offices think about these sorts of things. But the Hornets are, other than the Pistons, Woods' best chance of getting more than the middle-level exception. But I agree with you that he, that's not enough to really expect the market to go there. And also, I don't know exactly what Wood wants now. I, I think the Hornets are, you know, Hornets and Pistons are both reasonable enough situations. And I don't, you, I don't think he's going to get like offered a starting spot on a title contender. That would be fun as hell, but I don't think we're going to see it. 
So yeah, I, I think you're about right on the range. I'm thinking something three or four years, full mid-level, but there are more likely and unlikely bonuses than a normal contract at that level. Uh, I want to do this one from, from Epic Open World. I don't want to go too in-depth on this, but how many players in the NBA are truly worth the Supermax? And, and Scott brought up in terms of the, the Jazz, potentially with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, and there's another question we'll tackle after this related to that. And... I mean, obviously, all of the first-team All-NBA players are worth 35% max. Second team, we were we're talking more in the—I mean, remember, there were also some guys that were hurt this year. So, like, Steph Curry, of course, would have been in that mix if he were healthy. I would say those players, maybe not for the full term of the contract, but they're probably worth could, it, too. Can I frame this a little bit here first? Sure. Before, before we get too deeply into the analysis, are we talking about just for this one season right now, or if they were a free agent at this moment? moment would you give them a five-year deal at the supermax starting at 35 percent of the salary cap eight percent raises my thought so was the latter my thought was the latter but we could talk about it in the yeah. former but either is fine i mean we but i agree with you we should frame the debate which do you want to talk about let's let's do I the first let's, let's do the first the first is a better of just who who would be worth it this yeah like so like, where if, where is the line where where's the line for well a player? so i think like it's a massive difference right i, I think like the, you oh agree for players who you know would be worth I mean, what what are we talking about? What is the project? What is the thirty five percent of the salary cap this year? That is starting at thirty eight million for for the nineteen twenty season. Yeah, and then for 20, the one fifteen estimate, it'd be basically forty million. So for those players, especially because consider right, there's an opportunity cost. So. I mean, I think there's probably at least 20 players in the NBA that you would want to pay that much to for one year. But then when you're looking at the raises going up, you're looking at ages that you're you're looking at not only five seasons of the contract, but in some of these cases where you're extending it out six seasons because it's an extension. When you're looking at that, of the players where you're like, hey, who would I want to give it to right now for a five-year deal starting at that? then I think you probably only maybe have, you know, eight or nine players in the NBA, and many of them aren't even close to being eligible for it. I think that when you're looking at the first time you can be the earliest... Like that, like Luca would be one of them. Sure, sure. Luca. I mean, I think you would probably just do it for Zion Williamson if you were a free agent at this point. I mean, you know, you might have, you know, a lot of guys who are still on rookie-scale contracts, but when we're, talk, when we're saying who's worth the Supermax, maybe the better point is at the time that they could become eligible for it, which is at the earliest, the earliest that it could possibly kick in would be a player's ninth season in the NBA. That's when you're like, oh man, there are not many, right? Because ninth season in the NBA, you're going through your ninth through 13th seasons. The youngest you could possibly be when that expires is 33, maybe 32 if the guy was really young when he came into the league. And yeah, I mean, the number of players uh, and you got the raises to the number of players are going to be worth, you know, $50 million a year in their age 32 or 33 season you know there's maybe like three guys like that max yeah and that's a part of why you and i you're the one who turned me to this idea of having higher having the same level of max for players with less experience you know like the the seven to nine year because it's more likely that those players will live up to the contract than if you have to wait all the way until the end yeah or, or even earlier frankly sure um yeah yeah so, um but then let's get to the second question which is uh, i think a faster one from from dorian crozier will rudy get a supermax and now will and will he deserve it are two very different questions um i don't think he'll deserve it but so let's start there you know when you think about gobert where yeah. he is on the age curve the deteriorating value of centers i thought that he wasn't yeah, as good he'll be 29 in the summer of 2021 yeah and so and you expect that is prime or post prime that he will be get the each year you know not a guarantee but every year will be worse than the year before and then so so no he will not be worth it and will he receive it my instinct is that he will not a big part of why is because the jazz will not be pressured too heavily by other teams you know i don't think that they're going to be remember that nobody else can offer gobert is going to gobert will not be yet in his 10th season so he cannot get the 35% max anywhere else he could theoretically we've talked about this before get in the super max range meaning the 30 to 35 because it doesn't have to be a full 35 but i don't see teams even beating down rudy gobert's door too much for the 30 percent max so that means utah won't have to dig too deep into this 
Well, and also that he could do the extension and they could all it has to do is start, start at between 30 and 35 percent of the salary cap so if it starts at 30 percent, they could even do declines they could have non-guarantees on the end if they wanted to so it would technically be a designated player veteran extension i if i had to pick i mean we'll see what happens to them this year but my guess would be that he would sign a designated player veteran extension but that it would be not you know 30 starting at 35 percent of the salary cap 200 million dollars i think they would use the extension rules and maybe or maybe they would even just do a normal veteran extension for him as well like that could work too because he makes 26 million in the last year of that contract and you know maybe that's what it ends up being and that's what they offer him so yeah the more i think of it i think it'll probably be something more along the lines of a normal veteran extension three or four years but i i would imagine unless things go really poorly that they'll try to come to that kind of an agreement with him before he reaches free agency in 2021 but no i as far as the true supermax I would say there's like a 10% chance that they would do that for, for him. It just, they're too smart to do that. And as you said, I think the the leverage wouldn't be there for him either. All right, let's get to a lightning round here. Where do you want to start with first, Danny? Let's start with this question from uh, Wizard of Waz 7. How much money is Tillman Fertitta going to try to cut this summer, given he was notoriously cost-cutting before the pandemic? Could he try to move a piece like Eric Gordon for nothing, just for savings? I- I'll go a little longer than a lightning round on this. I think that a lot of teams... Uh, this comes up actually in the Rockets Q&A that I did that I'm doing with Kelly Eco for The Athletic. I think a lot of teams are going to be more conservative when you consider the revenue drops that are likely coming coming here and whether those are reflected in the salary cap. But the Rockets in particular, given some of the some of the public knowledge that's out there about what Tillman Fertitta has done to try to handle this pandemic. I mean, the Rockets were already in that mode, you know, like not not like aggressive cost savings like the process Sixers or anything like that, but desperately avoiding the luxury tax. And I fully expect that to continue if not be exacerbated. Well, and he says move Gordon for nothing. He's got three years, fifty-five million left on his contract. If Negative they could value move contract him for nothing after this year. They probably would. Uh, that actually would probably be a good move. But I, I'm not sure someone would want to take that on for the then thirty-one-year-old Gordon. Well, and and one thing I'll add in there, uh, I did that hypothetical layout of what it would look like if the league goes to if it ends up for whatever reason being a hundred and seven million dollar cap next year as opposed to the one fifteen uh, estimate that is the most recent the league put out and the most. Most significant to me impact of that is not the cap space teams. It's lowering the luxury tax line and the hard cap line because for certain teams, that's just going to make them way more expensive because like the Warriors and the Nets, they can't really do a lot to change it. It will change their reluctance, but lowering the tax line about $10 million, if that were to happen, would really affect teams like the Rockets. Oh, we could go to this one from uh, Whipless. Do you think that Fred Van Vliet would be a good backcourt partner for Trey Young given his shooting defense and age? How much do you think it would cost to get him there? If you were the Hawks, would you extend that offer? No, I don't think so, unless it were really a situation where you could get him on a contract that you considered a value. You know, Van Vliet is probably not big enough to guard the biggest wings on the other team. He is pretty good at guarding shooting guards, pretty good at racing around screens defensively. He can shoot. He could also shift in a backup point guard, which is important. So for the 12 minutes game that Trey isn't out there, they would have a, a solution there. That's not of no consequence, uh, but that wouldn't be the first place I was looking. Also, 26, not a player who has a ton of upside either wouldn't necessarily be the direction that I would be going if I were the Hawks. Adding a typically adding a second point guard sized guy you're doing that to to juice your offense not your defense and credit to Van Vliet that he can can make so much of a difference defensively and there will be circumstances I think it would actually make a bigger difference than you in terms of regular season defense just because the the average team you could kind of get away with hiding Trey Young somewhere you know just try to wherever the weakest point is one to three sort of like some of those OKC lineups have done at times keep maybe get away with that but the I the benefit of having Trey Young having this immense offensive talent is that you can then get more dependent in terms of your offensive players and still good to have some ball handling and everything else and generally speaking for defense you want players that are a little bit bigger that could be more versatile defensively and Vivlitz 26 which is closer in age than a lot of unrestricted free agents but still I don't think he squares up perfectly because by the time Trey and Collins are really in this like a couple of years from now when they're getting a lot closer to their primes then Van Vliet will be towards the end of this contract and will be you know probably on on the back the back side of his career Joe Buck 
asks, assuming the T-Wolves keep their pick and end up with a wing of some kind, and they re-sign Beasley, do you think they move one of Okogi or Culver? And I think this one, number one, I'm not sure that they necessarily do end up with a wing. That's not the, the greatest wings here. Point guard is the deepest position with this group uh, in the draft for what I've heard. But this to me is a mistake that even some teams make, but I think even more often fans kind of make. And I'm not saying he's making this mistake, but it, it reminds me of it, uh, that there's this idea that everyone you draft is going to work out and realistically no probably only one of okogi or culver or even none of them are a starting level of player and so there isn't necessarily a trade to be made or one of them may just end up being a, a depth piece you know, i mean their offense may just not improve particularly well, shooting if you're gonna have off ball guy yeah go ahead well, and i'll go a step beyond that with you talk about the position that this is specifically involving of wings which is having too many wings is a wonderful problem you know there yeah. you need them in your rotation like boston is is such a great example of this you can slide them around a little bit you can fit them in your rotation and yeah. also but boston could use another wing by the way also true i mean it, it <laughs> right? is like, like that <laughs> and and also not only will it take time it will take time to evaluate whether these players are working out and there is a lot of playing time in a 48 minute game and 82 games ideally in a regular season to evaluate these players to give them to give them opportunities it's not just oh if they're not starting that player is marginalized I mean there are a lot of different ways with a rotation to make that work also there will always be injuries and everything else and so that's one component I think the other component on why they you know and and you brought up a good part of the kind of the theory of it but then the other element of it is the value part so unless Culver still has some some of that new car smell he was a you know a recent draft pick who who a lot of people liked you and I didn't but other people did generally speaking when players don't have the most impressive of a recent run then you hold on to them in the hopes that they will turn it around with you and then you can actually get real value for them I don't think trading I don't think either Akogi or Culver is near the peak of their their potential trade value right now unless or if they are then you're not sacrificing that much by waiting the opportunity cost of holding on to them is probably pretty low so I would, you know, in those cases, generally, I would rather hold on to a player too long than, than, than give them up too early just because I don't think you're going to get a lot for them. This is a good question that we may be giving short shrift to, uh, and we'll try and speed up, get a few more in here. we got got about 10 minutes left. Uh, from Vibor Agarwal, is there a chance that shooters become so good that an uncontested three becomes worth more than a contested layup? And that's already the, the case for some shooters at the rim and some shooters from the three-point line. I mean, there are probably, you know, a J.J. Redick, a Kyle Korver is probably going to shoot pretty close to 50% on an uncontested corner three whereas there are some players who on contested layups are going to shoot 50 percent or even below that the well, worst and, players in the league yeah, and when ahead. you're saying worth more that means you're also accounting for the difference in value between a three-point shot and a two-point shot well yeah clear, clearly so a 50 percent on a corner three is worth more than 50 percent at the rim now as a general proposition an open and we've also seen this too because you know teams didn't used to just pull up for an open three on the fast break on like a three on two a wide open three is actually considered a, a decent shot now whereas if it was going to lead to a contested layup obviously it depends who the shooter is who's back etc but you're seeing more threes taken in those situations uh so there's definitely a realization that an open three and you see a lot of times too guys will pass out of what would be contested layups for open threes but obviously it's going to depend on who the shooter is who's contesting it and who the guy eschewing the layup to pass out to a, an open shooter is but you know, i mean that's the the beauty of basketball is it, there's a dance they take away one thing then you have something else that you can go for and so if you're just going to say we're, we're going to try to go for this only well the defense takes it away now that opens up something else so there's always going to be a yin and a yang to that kind of stuff but certainly the balance has gone more in favor of the open three than just forcing something up at the rim with no spacing previously ironically the fact and we've seen this too when i talked about the yin and the yang because teams have shot open threes better and more and teams have looked for those more and they've had more shooters and more guys standing outside the three-point line for spot-ups it's much easier to score at the rim on drives than it used to be mm -hmm. so yeah uh, the, and, the warriors were a great example i mean the the sure. prime warriors of, of how they had unbelievable finishing at like numbers at the rim even though they weren't yeah, like, they're shooting like 70 percent at the rim in some of those seasons yeah and it's not like they had the best collection of finishers in the league it's uh, that they had an easier job of doing it all right, let's do like two oh, more here. okay i want to do this one um from from nick korak 
why do you why do you and this it could go to both of us underrate Dennis Schroeder and it is I think Dennis Schroeder is a great encapsulation of a few different like basketball ethos things for me and a big one of them is that the most important thing a point guard can do is reliably create good shots for himself and other people this year was the best was the most efficient year of Dennis Schroeder's career by a mile and a half he was 57% true shooting his previous career high was 53% back when he was in Atlanta that was the only year he was even over 52 but remember what was yeah. different this year. He played a lot off ball and played a lot not as the primary ball handler. And I, I looked it up. It was something we've talked about during the season. When Schroeder played without Chris Paul, and remember, most of those minutes Shea Gilgis-Alexander was on the floor, so it's not like he was even the only initiator. Their offense was in the 8th percentile. And so he was more efficient. He He's a he's a very much a, a kind of can be a yay points guy. He's not even that efficient at that. And his defense has whacked him away. He deserves a lot of credit for getting for getting better there. You know, that's, that's important. That was a part of why he was even potentially yeah. viable in those OKC lineups. But he's not great at creating shots for himself and others. He is, like almost everybody else, is, like everybody, is more, is, is more efficient when he's relying on other people to do that work for him. But even with that, he's not hyper-efficient. He's just, like, reasonably efficient. And his defense wax and wanes. There's all this character stuff. So he he is just he's a great example for me of somebody who doesn't who doesn't bring a lot to the table. He and I just don't value those players that much. Yeah, the on off metrics advanced stats up until this year were very poor. This year, the ones that adjusted for shooting luck like PIPM, he was much lower in that than he was in some of the other ones like RPM, which I don't think does that. And so I don't think he just completely turned into a new player this year. You mentioned how most of the positive that he's gotten has been when he's played alongside Paul and Gilgis Alexander. That lineup has been very effective. But as you mentioned, without Chris Paul, uh, the numbers uh, have been as bad as they ever were. And then last year, you know, he was brought in to be this backup point guard, run the second unit. Their numbers were awful there too in Atlanta it wasn't great I mean he has some skills absolutely to be sure you know his mid-range shooting has improved he can get out in transition he's got those quick drives from the wing where he can float into a layup but he does a lot of defensive issues he has gotten a little better this year but not you know he's still not a plus there I would say and so it's just he's not in the six-man conversation to me I think to me he's still overpaid some he he's gotten back to where it's more plausible now that he's you know he's not like a terrible contract anymore but last year you know I thought he was way way overpaid that's why we really disliked that military because they had to take on Schroeder as well so I, I mean I you know underrating him is obviously it depends what you think is is objective there but we just don't think he's as good as everyone else well, has been and he's also gotten a lot of a boost from just the story in OKC of oh they they lost these guys now look at these guys coming going back and they have a better record this year and so you know he's got that kind of a shine to him in the six-man discussions too but we talked even more extensively about him on our awards pod i believe it was the one that we did right at the beginning of march on why he wasn't a serious candidate to me for six man yeah and two two other brief things one it's hard to think of a more advantageous circumstance for shooter than the one that he's been in and the player that he was elevated to let's just do the do the basic stats 16.8 per 57 percent true shooting 22 assist percentage 27 percent usage that's far from terrible but if that is the best that you can be okay kudos like that's that's just not it's just not that and especially when he's not elevating the offense when he's not you know the the primary reason that's successful and like you compare his case to let's say Derek Rose who I had as my sixth man of the year like you could see Derek Rose's impact on that team much more clearly than you can with Schroeder and it the the stats match the eye test I mean I watched yeah. a lot the, of the, the other thing too by the way is think of who when he plays alongside Chris Paul and Che Gilles-Alexander think of who he's replacing he's replacing like Terrence Ferguson right so yeah I mean and that's and that's some of some of what's seen in the on-off stuff too. Um, last one here. At what point should the Toronto Raptors let Fred Van Vliet walk? Is from Jeff Lowe. He puts it out there at four for eighty or so. And important to remember the context here for Toronto. What is the opportunity cost? They have these plans for twenty twenty one when they project as of now to have fifty five million in cap space. And I would say maybe even a little bit below that. I would and too because and you know much depends on what happens with Kyle Lowry also at this point you know that number for 21 also doesn't include Kyle Lowry and I don't know it, it's really hard for me to say because I don't know what kind of intel they have and what they might do in the summer of 2021 I think teams generally overrate their performance or, or their chances there but they you know they've been 
considered in a lot of places the leading Giannis contender. Uh, so usually there's some smoke to that, uh, or, or some fire to that smoke, I should say. So I, I would say in the in the high teens, or maybe you go with a shorter term deal that could let him get back out there in 2021 if he doesn't you know you'd say hey you know we'll pay you 25 million for this year something along those lines um you know maybe even 30 million for one year or something like that and then you, he doesn't really get hurt he can get back out there again in 2021 everyone can reassess you could say hey our plan is to bring you back if if you know we don't get the big superstar maybe that's the the way to do it you just pay him so much in that year where he doesn't have the other suitors and so he takes that would be to try to put as much of that into that first year i think but four years and 80 million that is a lot of money i think fred van Vliet is a very good player but that is for a point guard who's not going to be driving your offense that is a tough tough one i mean he's you know what did we rank him like in the, the 15 to 20 range in terms of point guards in the nba that's that's a little too much for a player like that especially because i don't think he has the other options and if he does have them you know he wants to go to the knicks for that money i think you have to grin and bear it the number I thought of was 470, so that would be 17 and a half million a year. And because of Toronto's unusual circumstances that they're looking primarily at what would be the second year of that contract, elements that would otherwise, you know, make this better, more team friendly for them, like partial guarantees on the last year or some sort of injury protection or something like that, those matter a little bit less because that's not what the the focus point isn't the total value it's the second year value and so it doesn't you know it doesn't do as much for them so it, it is really hard to make this to make this work well and you you brought up i mean the, the 2021 stuff with Giannis, but remember also just if let's say that raptors situation comes past let's say they get Giannis and they don't have to give up any, anything up for him they have to clear the space it's going to be an extremely shallow team but it is also going to be an extremely desirable one so Masai has to be asking himself now you can't like plan that Giannis is going there or anything like that how valuable is that 17 18 million in space going to be if that's what happens and if Van Vliet is, let's say you overpay him and then it's a negative value contract and it runs on for another three years, then it gets a lot harder to pivot, even though theoretically Van Vliet would fit well, I think reasonably well with the Giannis team. So yeah, it is it is a challenge. But yeah, I, I think you, especially because the, Rap- the Raptors are a very good team right now, but I have them in kind of that second tier of contenders. I don't think Van Vliet is so essential that you overpay him for that duration of time to, to make him a part of this, especially because they've done a great job developing talent, not necessarily to the Van Vliet level, but they found guys and they've improved them too. Just to clear up one thing, by the way, uh, his he would be limited to the zero to six year max. So that'd be a little bit below 30 million if they wanted to offer him a one year deal. I mean, maybe what they could even do too would be something along the line. Well, maybe that's, that's probably no good. Uh, something along the lines of like a team option, a big money for a second year as well uh, the guaranteeing some the next year wouldn't be great because then they would have to waive him and he could get claimed maybe they could go the george hill waive him and then bring him back as well but um yeah they, they couldn't pay him like 30 million a year it wouldn't be quite that much as of now with the 2021 cap or or they'd be looking at and eh, like a little under 29 million and that may in fact go down um okay that's uh about it here please uh give us a rating or review on itunes that is always appreciated tell your friends uh, about this podcast or, or about the covid daily news as well we really appreciate your support we'll be back with the second part of this mailbag lots of great questions still to get to we didn't want to leave any of them out so we'll do that tomorrow till then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.